kneel before Zod. You can't go. All the plants are gonna die. I'm gonna take a bath. Bad dates. I'll alert the media. Boys, keep off the moors. It's evil. Don't touch it. The name's Pliskin. No more hangers. Welcome to a very special Vintage Video Patreon pick, where our patrons at the $100 tier are invited to request any pre-80s title they'd like for a custom review from the Vintage Video team. Overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today, Louis Letizia has asked us to review Scalpel, aka False Face, released January 1st, 1977. It was written by John Grismer, based on a story by Joseph Weintraub, directed by Grismer, and released originally by United International Pictures as False Face, and later by Avco Embassy Pictures as Scalpel. Not a lot of info on this one. The budget was around $400,000. It was originally released in 77 as False Face, and after acquisition by Avco Embassy, it was re-released, edited into a PG version in 1979 called Scalpel, and that's the version that we saw. I was going to say, we must have watched it, because I don't think there was anything in there that wasn't pg yeah i don't think so either so that's that's the version that got the blu-ray i am curious what they took out yeah me too we start with dr philip reynolds played by robert lansing leading a seminar on plastic surgery his audience is made up of about 10 doctors seated around a long table he addresses the fact that their work gets a lot more press than most medicine but that he's not totally against it and it's good for doctors egos he excuses himself at the end, and we cut to a funeral as a team of pallbearers, led by Dr. Reynolds, carry a coffin down church steps to a waiting hearse. As he and another man wordlessly close the back door, we suddenly hear the reading of the last will and testament of Robert Dorston Thorndike. The other man, who we'll come to know as Bradley, is the only son of the deceased, and he smiles wide at Dr. Reynolds and slaps a random woman's ass as he walks back to his own car. The deceased leaves to Bradley, his dog Scout, in the hopes that caring for the animal will teach him some responsibility. To my son-in-law, Dr. Philip Reynolds, I extend my Christian forgiveness. Though I will forever hold you responsible for the death of my beloved daughter, Jenny, I am comforted by the fact that I will never again be forced to bear the burden of your obnoxious presence. Reynolds joins Bradley in the car with the dog. Everything else, around $5 million, is left to Thorndike's granddaughter, and Reynolds' daughter, Heather Reynolds. In today's money, that's around $24 million. Another mourner leans in the window to mention what a shame it is that Heather ran away a while back after something terrible happened to her boyfriend. She asks Reynolds if he expects she'll ever come home soon. I think this is a pretty good way to, to shove a bunch of exposition in there. And right it doesn't away, feel yeah. really clunky. You're yeah. just like, oh, it's the annoying relative. Yep. We actually get a wavy flashback of Heather and her boyfriend getting hot and heavy on a couch. Dr. Reynolds watches through a window from outside the house, and when the boyfriend leaves later, he climbs into his car when a pair of gloves reach up from the back seat and stab a syringe into the boy's neck. Then he funnels a lot of liquor into the boy's mouth, splashes it all over him, and then tosses him in a pond. Unfortunately for him, Heather catches him doing this to her boyfriend and is instantly sobbing in the house. She runs out into the night and never returned to contest Reynolds' official story that the boy must have confusedly stumbled into the pool. Why would you murder somebody on your own property? Uh, crime of passion? <laughs> <laughs> Lazy. Yeah. We blur back to elevators in a hotel, and Bradley worries aloud that his niece may never appear to collect her inheritance. 
One thing they agree on, they don't miss Mr. Thorndike. Over dinner, Bradley mentions he started a new medication recently and expects to live a long time. In fact, he's considering a campaign for state senator. When Bradley asks why the old man hated Dr. Reynolds so much, he figures it was a combination of Thorndike's disgust for the field of plastic surgery and the death of his daughter, Bradley's sister Jennifer. The two men get sloppy drunk and then drive home in the rain that way. They're passing a club called the Zebra Lounge just as a topless woman is being yanked out onto the street. A heavyset man drags her across an alley and bashes her face repeatedly against a brick wall as a crowd of people watch and do nothing. This is the PG version. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, this might be a place they took a bunch of out. Oh, darling. You have a good day. Yeah. He leaves her bloodied and beaten on the ground and returns to the club. She's blinded by her injury and feels her way along the wall, but by the time Bradley and Reynolds find her, she's laying on the edge of death in the middle of the street, and they manage to stop before hitting her. They wrap her in a blanket and rush her to a hospital. Arriving to his own office at the hospital, Dr. Reynolds' suit is smeared with the girl's blood. He nearly phones DeKalb County Police to report the incident, but notices a picture of his daughter framed on his desk and gets an insane idea. Another doctor enters and says the girl's face is pretty well demolished. He already has preliminary plans for a reconstructive surgery in the morning, and he asks the doctor to collect the girl's height and eye color because for whatever reason that's very important to his plan. So, of course, at this point, I'm like, ah, okay, I get yeah. it. I know where this is going. I did not know where this was going. No. <laughs> it, it takes some turns, for sure. By the way, um, for myself, I just want to say this is one of those movies. Watch it first, because there's some turns here yeah. you won't yeah. see coming. And it's better to just see them happen in the movie. It's called Scalpel, 1977. Look for it on streaming services. There's a Blu-ray of it. It's really pretty great i really enjoy this so check it out before you listen to the rest of this review because we're going to spoil every turn of the story <laughs> and uh there's some wacky stuff here he meets with the girl fully bandaged now and asks her to write her name on a pad of paper with a marker it seems she's not able to comply he asks if there's anyone he can contact on her behalf and she remains silent later he puts a scan of his daughter's face against the x-ray backlights as a template for jane doe's new face the surgeons work tirelessly reshaping her soft tissue. This actually really bothers me when he tries to like hold this picture up to the light because mm. it's not like it's not like a orthographic view, so yeah. it's not straight on or straight to the side or yeah. anything like that. It's like but there's all these lines drawn on it, like you're measuring things, and I'm like, you can't do that from a when, side view when stuff's in perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I imagine he's just using it as a general guide. Like, right. he, know, he knows his daughter's face yeah. enough. Yeah. But, I mean, he's legit measuring them. And I'm like, that's not how that works. <laughs> Once they have the musculature in place, Reynolds slices layers of skin from her legs to form a graft with. I looked up that tool because I was like, that cannot be really what they use. But it is legitimately yeah. what they use. It's like... um. I don't even know how to describe it. It has like a like a half drum that you roll the skin onto as it is peeled off with yep. like a potato mm-hmm. peeler. It's a yeah. crazy device. Delicious. We cut right to Reynolds walking with the girl through a garden. Her head is still fully bandaged. He breaks it to her that she's been discharged from the hospital, but he's taking her home with him. She's not interested in this arrangement and tries to object, but he interrupts with a photo of his daughter. Jane, honey. How would you like to have this face? Have a choice? No. 
He confesses that the face belongs to his missing daughter. With the exception of slightly lighter hair color, he expects that, fully healed, she could easily pass for his daughter. She is still creeped out by his approach when he finally admits that cooperating would mean $2.5 million for her. He explains the whole situation with the will. He plans to teach her his daughter's mannerisms just long enough for her to collect the money and then they're home free. There, there's a lot to this that I wasn't expecting. I thought how this was going to go was she lost her memory and he's going to trick her yeah. into thinking that she's yeah. his daughter. And then like eventually she'll put it together or she'll have like a yeah. a relapse of memory. But then I was like, oh, no, he's just straight up telling her, hey, I need your help to. Yeah, he's, Im- he's not hiding money. it. Yeah. That that was actually kind of a surprise. After he did the surgery, <laughs> yeah. But I was I was genuinely surprised already that it's like oh he's being upfront with her about what his plan is like, yeah. but but that's why the the movie is like now you think that you're totally on board but it's like are we just going to go through with that plan for the rest of the movie something else must happen yeah. because you know everything now. Um, I started to think that maybe this was like a. Uh, uncle fester situation where that actually was his daughter oh and he didn't know that he was rebuilding her face properly and that we were going to get that twist later that's an interesting but one. that that doesn't uh that doesn't come through or something like shattered oh my god yeah this and shattered is a great double feature he works through a stack of family photos like flashcards. she listens to tape recordings of heather's voice messages to her father emulates her handwriting dr reynolds also mentions that she'll need to learn to play the piano expertly to properly impersonate his daughter. He even teaches her how to play cards like Heather did and how to lose the same way. Jane Doe asks what happened to her mother and we cut to a flashback as he explains she went swimming by herself and drowned completely by accident. But what we're seeing is a contradictory scene (laughs) of a woman struggling for help in the water as Dr. Reynolds powers a paddle boat idly past her. I I love this juxtaposition. It was hilarious. He's just like, oh, hey, how's it going? (laughs) Keep paddling. And two days later, they found her body. I blame myself for being unable to save her. One morning, he cuts off her bandages to check his work. He turns her toward camera and says, three weeks from now, the bruising will fully heal, and they will throw a family reunion. The camera pans away from her, observing her reflection, to the party already in full swing. Heather works the crowd with Reynolds' assistance. Cousin Margaret brings up a story about Heather as a toddler walking around an old Christmas party with a cigarette lighter, and Reynolds steps in to relieve her when she can't finish it. And your Uncle George was there in his Santa Claus outfit. You remember what happened? Margaret, I don't even remember that. What was it? His beard! Up in flames! Heather is mercifully called away by Maddie Schuster for another short chat. She speaks with a psychiatrist guest who insinuates that she might need his services at the local Sandy Hill Nuthouse. Uncle Bradley offers a toast to Heather and then asks the room for donations to his campaign, but they all shout him down. It feels like Bradley knows what's going on because his next move is to introduce Heather as a competent pianist and announce a performance for the crowd. Jane and Bradley exchange glances and she takes a seat beside the piano and plays comically badly. Dr. Reynolds sits on the bench beside her and assures the crowd that she's exhausted from the big day and needs rest. We cut right to Jane signing the paperwork to receive the money from the will. When the money is officially hers, she mentions that she would like half of her fortune to be gifted to her father, who she felt was treated unfairly by the will. The executor, Mr. Clyde, says the money is hers to do with as she pleases. As a matter of fact, if you ask me to convert it into cash and put it in a suitcase, I'd have only one question for you. What color suitcase? (laughs) 
Well, in that case, Mr. Clyde, um, you can pick the color, but I'm awfully fond of yellow. Back at home, and still together for some reason, Jane and Reynolds discuss how best to invest their new fortunes, and Jane asks if she can keep the new face because she loves it. He caresses her face in a disturbingly unfatherly way. God, you look like her. Kind. Why don't, why don't we get the hell out of this house tomorrow and go and we'll have us some fun? Hey. Right? Why don't we have some fun? Right now. They start making out, and he slips off her dress, and we cut right to the two of them riding a roller coaster together and having what looks like the time of their lives. Is this a metaphor roller coaster? Uh. Yes and, <laughs> and no. And no, yeah. <laughs> Later, as they bound into the house, Dr. Reynolds starts mixing drinks for them, and they find Bradley drunk in the living room. He's clearly upset about having officially lost the inheritance now to a real person, and probably doubly furious to learn that his brother-in-law has claimed half the winnings for himself. Bradley seems dead set on proving something here tonight, and leads Jane to the piano. Just place your hands on the keyboard. Uncle Bradley. He bashes her hands repeatedly against the keys and flat out accuses her of not being Heather, while Jane looks to Dr. Reynolds for help with panicked eyes. Reynolds finally yanks Bradley away from the girl, at which point he seems to suffer some kind of attack. Bradley collapses to the ground and reaches into his pocket for a flask to take a pill with, but Reynolds steals the medicine away and sets it high on the piano where he can't reach it. Jane begs Reynolds to help the dying man, and they both just watch him die while Dr. Reynolds plays chopsticks on the piano. We cut to a New Orleans, Louisiana-style funeral blasting when the saints go marching in. I, Bradley Austin Thorndike, declare this to be my last will and testament. At my funeral, I decree that everybody is to have a damn good time. Do you guys recall the last time we had an upbeat, jazzy funeral procession? That was a Bond movie. Which one? Live and let die. There you go. Had to sing the song. <laughs> Dr. Reynolds eulogizes his brother-in-law and makes sure to fabricate that just before he died, he was playing his heart out on the family piano. The entire family is popping champagne and having a grand old time when suddenly the camera pushes in on a statue in the graveyard and we see Heather has returned. What? Heather be thy name. <laughs> I was I was so excited the first time I watched this movie when that reveal happens and you're just like, I knew she was coming back. And this is the perfect place yeah. for that reveal. Watching the festivities from afar and seemingly understanding the presence of her doppelganger immediately. When Jane and Reynolds get home, they're startled to find the table set for three and it takes Reynolds zero seconds to diagnose the culprit. Heather! Daddy, is that you? He sobs with relief to have his daughter back and hasn't yet grappled with the consequences of her return. Daddy, just hold on. I still have a thousand one things to do and you have yet to introduce me to your little friend. She introduces herself as Jane Doe, and Heather and Reynolds find it surprisingly entertaining. <laughs> I should have known. <laughs> I, at this point, I have no idea what Heather yeah, is thinking. They're totally insane, it seems. It's very bizarre that she doesn't react to this at all. I get the impression from her creepiness that she knows everything about everything, and she's just waiting for them to dole out the information. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's that's true. Um, I mean, I you know that she knows everything later, right? But, um, at this point, we don't know that she knows everything. Officially. The fact that she doesn't have more loud questions like, "Why does that person look exactly like me? Mm -hmm. What is happening?" 
whose funeral was that why did they have a funeral like the fact that she's just like i made dinner i just surprised you guys with dinner yeah makes me think that she knows a lot more than she's letting on hours later the meal is wrapped and heather notes jane barely touched the dinner probably in fear of it being poisoned jane excuses herself from the table and reynolds finally shares with heather jane's origin story conveniently leaving out anything about grandpa's will and insisting he chose her face because he loved it so I might ask why the fuck she lives here now. <laughs> I mean, like, I think it's plausible that you would just be like, I love my daughter. I miss my daughter. I'm just going to use that because I had nothing else to go on. Yeah. Might but it's like, well. and then you adopted a stranger to live in your house with you. Yeah. What are you? Woody Allen? With the <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Heather refuses to discuss where she's been all this time, but asks where granddaddy Thorndike was since he didn't make it to Uncle Bradley's funeral. He breaks it to her that Papa Thorndike has passed on but I'd guess she already knows. Inside, Heather plays a song on the piano while Reynolds and Jane stare blankly ahead. She finally works up to asking what happened with Granddaddy's will, and Reynolds claims that he left everything to the University of Atlanta, except for Uncle Bradley's new dog. Jane is a little drunk, and Reynolds sends her to bed as Heather launches into Charles K. Harris's 1891 waltz after the ball about a man who gives up on a childhood crush when he sees her kiss a boy and learns decades later, after her death, that the boy was her brother. When Reynolds heads up to check on Jane in her room, she warns him that Heather's knows everything and she's fucking with them, but he assures her Heather is being genuine. When words don't calm her down, he tries kisses. In the morning, Jane wakes up Heather in her room to confront her on their whole arrangement. Heather says she wants Jane to go back to her old face and leave her and her father in peace. Jane makes the same offer for Heather to leave them alone together. Heather proposes a sort of parent trap on Dr. Reynolds. Now this I was definitely not expecting for them to team up on again <laughs> yeah. is insane. I love it. Now what if we were to switch identities on it? I'm sure I could imitate your voice and you might be able to imitate mine. Yeah, I might. <laughs> there, you see? And we'll trade clothes. We'll trade hairdos. I wonder how long you'd take him to catch on. Mm. Till bedtime. Heather doesn't seem bothered enough that her dad is fucking her exact doppelganger. <laughs> right? Like, even if she knows literally everything about everything that is going on, this should disturb her. Yeah. I think the explanation for it is that this is not the first time that he's fucked someone who looks exactly like his daughter. Because he fucked her mother? No, because he fucked his daughter what? before. No. Oh. No. You don't think so? No. No. I think for sure he killed her boyfriend because he was jealous because he'd been fucking her already. Oh. You don't you didn't get that impression? No. I I thought she would have way more questions if she wasn't already aware that he was hot for her. But she she gets upset later and That's true, handy. that's true. That does seem like a first time situation. Yeah, I but, don't think that yeah. But I agree with the boyfriend. That he was jealous of the Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't doubt that he's attracted to his daughter prior right. to this moment. Yeah. Well, I don't think that he they had an existing it. relationship yeah. like that. The next morning, the girls play a bit of badminton for Reynolds' amusement. The one dressed as Heather says she wants to drive into town to see Mr. Clyde, who handles Reynolds' finances, to clear up her confusion over Grandpa's will. I'm saying what they're dressed as because of the implication of the previous scene. We don't know which one's which now. They could have traded places, they could have not. We'll settle it later, but for now, we don't know. You know, Daddy, it just doesn't seem right to me that he would leave all of his estate to the university. 
You know, I just wonder if his poor old mind was right when he put together that will. Libby, I think you're right. I think you ought to go down there. Reynolds is weirdly encouraging of the visit to Mr. Clyde. Later, Reynolds and the girl dressed as Jane are at a bar, and she suggests he pay his daughter off to leave them alone. He points out a bartender, who he intends to employ in some nefarious way, but it sounds like he's going to hire a guy to kill Heather. Shit, I don't, I don't even know if I can go through with this. Christ, it's my baby, you know that. I'm your baby. Yeah, you're my baby. Suddenly, the bartender chokes a dude out over the bar. Later, we see the girl dressed as Heather making a phone call to her boyfriend, asking him to come pick her up. This seems to mean that this is actually Heather that's calling her boyfriend. I do think so. Yes. Yes. Because the other girl didn't remember who she was, so she wouldn't have a boyfriend outside of this arrangement. I don't know that the other girl doesn't actually remember who she, she is. She might be faking it. That's possible. Well, no, I think that she doesn't have anything to go back to. Right, but she never. She didn't even have a name for him when, when he asked. That's why she's Jane Doe now. Yeah, but I, I guess I'm... She was still recovering, and then at a certain point, she... She may have gotten it all back and was like, I'm ready to go. And he was like, what about this, though? Yeah, when when he introduced her to this, it's just like, okay, now I'm now I'm Heather. Yeah. And then when and then Heather became, showed up, she's like, okay, I guess I'm Jane Doe again. You yeah. know, but like, she wasn't going to use her real name. Yeah, I guess. Later, we see the girl dressed as Heather making a phone call to her boyfriend, asking him to come pick her up. She says Reynolds and the other girl are swimming in the lake. She starts heating up some water on a stovetop when the bartender knocks on the door, posing as a plumber, here to check the pipes in the basement. He asks her to lead him downstairs. He follows her down into the basement, and we cut to Reynolds watching the girl dressed as Jane swim in the lake. Back at the house, the plumber comes back upstairs with blood on his hands and gives them a quick wash in the sink. So it seems from this shot like he has just killed Heather in yeah. the basement, mm -hmm. and he's about to be on his way. When we hear this voice... My goodness, you've cut your hand. It's nothing, Miss Reynolds. So he didn't kill her. He literally <laughs> just fixed the pipes? Yeah. Which I think means that Dr. Reynolds was lying to Jane at the bar when he said this guy was a hitman because he actually hired the guy to come fix the pipes mm -hmm. and he wanted her to think that this girl was getting killed while they went to the lake together. It's, it's so elaborate. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we jump back and forth yeah. a lot here. He chats her up a bit and reminds her that he has bartended for her in the past, specifically for her and her boyfriend. What's his name? The one with the funny ears. Donna Newman? Whatever happened to him? She answers, but stops short of accusing Reynolds of murder. He died. So, as far as we know, Jane might have that same information, that this girl had a boyfriend named Donnie Newman and that he died. And that's all she actually knew. So right. if this is Jane, she's just saying what she heard. And if this is Heather, then she's saying what happened and leaving out pertinent information. But if, if this is Jane, then she, but then she would be afraid of the plumber. Maybe. Right. But then it's not, it couldn't be because. No, it's definitely not. It's, this is Heather here. Yeah. yeah. But I don't think that we're ever supposed to think that it is Jane. Yeah. I, I just think that, once they've established that we could trade places and, and pretend to be each other for it's future little... scenes, that they want you to question it. And so you have to come to a decision in each scene. So are, we're 100% sure that Heather saw the whole thing, right? Of him killing her boyfriend? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Or at least saw him throwing the body into the pond. Saw yeah, which would be inexcusable if it was just like, oh, he got really drunk in his car and he got a weird injection hole in his neck. 
We cut back to the lake where the girl dressed as Heather's body is floating face down in the water. After a moment, Reynolds whistles to her, and she leans up out of the water and whips a pair of goggles off her head. So she's not dead in the water. He didn't just kill her like he did to his wife. She's fine. Call the last time somebody pretended to be dead in the water? Don't go in the woods alone? I think so. Or don't go in the woods? Don't go in the woods, yeah. Or no, just before dawn. I don't know those two. It was just before dawn. Now, because I, it has George Kennedy in I it. I will forever confuse those. I know, because they came out the same weekend, yes. and they're very, very similar movies. Yeah. Reynolds wraps her in a towel, and they head back to the house. They're stopped in the car just down the road when a police car blocks their path with sirens on. Reynolds hands off his ID, and when the cop asks who the girl is, she claims to be his daughter. Miss, I don't know what kind of a game you're playing, but I think you better tell this officer the truth. She's not my daughter, officer. I just picked her up at the lake hitchhiking. I don't even know her name. The cop puts a gun in the girl's face and orders her out of the car. I feel like already we know this isn't just a cop because that wouldn't be your first reaction to like, oh, you have a hitchhiker who's lying about their identity? Gun in the face. I don't know. Cops. Maybe. Yeah, it depends yeah. on where you are. Yeah. The girl takes this opportunity to confess that she and her doppelganger traded identities to mess with him and she really is his daughter. Nobody believes her, so she elbows the cop in the chest and makes a run for it. Well, well, this is definitely Jane because right. cause she tries to she tries to to do that. She tries to pull off that. No, I, Daddy, I really. But I like it because it's also pulling one over on us because it's like we saw them talk about trading places, so there's some truth to what she's saying. Right, but then she goes, "I'm gonna get you for this, Reynolds." And, yeah, and Heather wouldn't say that. She might if if she thinks so little of her father now that he killed her boyfriend that she's gonna refer to him that way. That, that's what I, I love picking apart every little <laughs> line of dialogue down to every little infinitesimally small piece. Oh, we better go get her. Oh, I'll go get her. But it's going to cost you double. Go get her, goddammit! She runs for a while wearing half a set of handcuffs and stops to rest with her back against a tree. He finds her here and takes her into custody. Outside the house, Reynolds pulls up and inside he calls to his daughter. She doesn't respond, so he lays down in a bed upstairs, and another car rolls up to the house. One of the girls gets out and blows a kiss to the driver. Inside, she claims to have just been on a walk and asks where Jane went. Heather, I'm afraid I got some bad news about Jane. Now, in my head, at this point of the story, I thought that they had traded places, and that when he's telling what he thinks is Heather but is actually Jane, that he killed Jane, then Jane's realizing, oh, he tried to kill me, so now I really have to pretend to be his daughter. Yeah. So there's so many different layers to it everywhere. Jane's not coming back. There was an accident out at the lake. And Jane's dead. Now, at this point, neither Heather nor Jane would believe there was an accident out by the lake. Because they've both seen him murder people Mm -hmm. and call it accidents. But he was weirdly confident about that when she was literally running away. And you don't know what happened. Because it's not like the cop came back and was like, yep, I took care of it. You're good to go. Pretty lazy of him to blame water for so many of his kills, though. And now, he claims that her death was actually for the best. Jane was a threat to us. She was dangerously jealous of the love that we have for each other. She asks for the car keys so she can do a bit of shopping for dinner tonight. He's hesitant to give them to her and asks where she went that night. Oh, come on. You know what night. He elaborates that he meant the night he killed Donnie for raping her. He promises he can erase the trauma from her brain. He's playing with her sleeve now, but his groping evolves as he explains Jane was always a cheap substitute for her and that he had to kill her. She fights back against his assault and shrieks wildly as he tackles her to the couch. So this is what you're talking about. Yeah. Where this seems like a first time that she's seen this side of her father. Yeah. 
But before he could take her completely, someone knocks him over the head with something, and he collapses unconscious to the floor. Crazy son of a bitch. Never could tell his part. It's like, I still, right now, don't know which one of you is which. Yeah. Because so many details of the last few scenes work for both of you. But there's something in a little bit that I feel like is the solid clue for me which one of them is which. We see that the person who hit him is the doppelganger with a frying pan in her hand wearing the cop's shirt. We can only assume what happened to that man. Yeah. The two of them hug together and later we see Heather administer some kind of chemical into Reynolds' arm. Probably Thorazine because she tells Jane that she got the chemical from her psychiatrist friend who Jane met at the family party. She explains that she's been locked up in Sandy Hill Nuthouse where the man worked. Jane, that's where I've been for the past year and a half. Since I saw my father put Donald in the water. Who's Donald? The boy? So, the fact that one of them is saying who's Donald yeah. is the clue that officially they never traded places. They didn't. They've always been who they were dressed as, but we're supposed to question it for a while in the middle. We saw the girl in Heather's clothes tell the bartender plumber about Donald, so the fact that Jane has no idea here means that they are who they said they were. But wouldn't Jane know about Donald? She would, but she doesn't hear when Heather well, starts talking to her about it. she knows that Heather had a boyfriend. But only one of them killed. knows that he went in the water. And only one of them knows that his name Donnie. Yeah, <laughs> a, a, possibly, yeah. So when she claimed they traded places in the car, she was actually lying, and Reynolds was actually trying to rape his own daughter. Weirdly, she claims that Grandpa Thorndike drove her to the facility, but made no mention of it in the will. Maybe the will predated the drop-off? That's my only guess there. Yeah. Uh, uh, maybe, but it, it seemed like, to me, that Jane confessed everything to... Sorry, that Heather confessed everything to her grandfather. Her grandfather said, don't worry, I'm going to put you in hiding... But wouldn't he tell someone on the family that so that this money would make its way to her if it was already in his will? Well, but yeah, no, no, because like he put it in his will. That it would go to her? That it would go to her. But then the state would have a record of her being sent there, right? Someone would know that she was there because well, otherwise the, it's pointless to leave her $5 million if she's locked in an asylum under an assumed name. No, it, it, like the money would go to her, but then they didn't expect that a doppelganger would show up. I guess. But why wouldn't they reach out to her like they did to everyone else mentioned? In well, the I well I'm uh, they well they can't because no one knows that she's in the it, no no that, one knows that she's in the facility. Yeah, th that's what I'm saying. That was bad planning on Papa Thorndike's part right. to leave money to a person who's locked away that literally nobody knows they're there. For all he knew, she was going to die in that facility because there's nobody left to get her out. Well, no, but I think she was in, she was recovering. Yeah. So you think she just would have been released eventually? Yeah, I think okay. so. I mean, I think she was there voluntarily. Although he took her there, it was like, here's a place where you can get better. Yeah. Even though there's technically nothing wrong with you. You just witnessed something terrible. Well, I mean, that is a that is a trauma that she has to recover from. Right. But I, I think she's she's already witnessed more trauma when she came back. In treatment, she was able to accept that her father was a psychopath who had murdered her mother and her boyfriend to have her to himself. But when the psychiatrist saw someone who looked like Heather at the party, but knew that she had been committed to an asylum, he told Bradley, who confronted them here. So that's how Bradley found out and came here all mad with the piano. Right. Jane tells her what Reynolds did to Uncle Bradley, and we dip to black and come back in an intervention. 
Reynolds is moaning in pain, and the psychiatrist, Dr. Robert Dean, is here with the girls. He administers more chemicals, probably sodium pentothal. Reynolds drops into a meditative state, and Dr. Dean asks him some questions. He claims Heather asked him here to discuss her father's hallucinations as of late. But she's told me all about this imaginary person, Jane. Daddy, who is this Jane? Dr. Dean warns him that in the process of the treatment he's providing now, it's possible that Reynolds might experience frighteningly realistic hallucinations. So that introduces a whole nother fun element to the rest of the scene. Yeah. Because you're like, I don't know what's actually happening here or mm -hmm. what's a part of his hallucination. Because at first I thought that was their clever way of like, we can do things that he won't expect and he'll think they're hallucinations. But there's stuff here that is definitely hallucinations. Yeah. Right. Suddenly, his brother-in-law Bradley is laughing at him from behind the piano, playing chopsticks with no hands. <laughs> The it's, just, it's just a good old Uncle Bradley playing yeah. chopsticks on the piano with his bifurcated penis? I guess, Like, yeah. what, what is happening? Do you remember the last time we saw a person play an instrument with their bifurcated penis? <laughs> what? No. Did this really happen on something we've watched? Yeah. I don't remember that. It was in Hollywood Nights. There was a guy who was pretending he had his penis sticking out of his zipper, but he was using his finger to play the guitar. Oh. And they thought he was actually playing the guitar with his penis. It wasn't bifurcated, though. It's multiple fingers. Uh. The doctor seems to apply more medicine and then tosses down a yo-yo before yanking it back up. Heather plays peekaboo with a napkin. Donnie sneaks up behind him and violently pours liquor into the man's mouth. When he sits up to escape it, he finds Jane at the other end of the couch and they make out for a moment. Jane, Bradley, and Donnie all grab a hold of Reynolds' face with both hands as he tries to shake them off. That, this, this is like, this so got, great. Yeah, this this got me. This is like this is a Richard trigger. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like when they all went and reached her his face, I was like, no, I don't like this. And you know that at least two of these people are not here, and probably yeah. none of the three of them are. But these Wait, are the two three of them? Because Bradley is definitely De dead. Bradley's not yeah. Donnie is definitely dead. Oh, Donnie was one of the other. Yeah. I, th I, I thought it was But Jane could be there. Yeah. Right. But I don't think she is. I, I don't but I don't think any of them are actually grabbing us. Yeah, because yeah. I, I actually think that Heather is keeping Jane a secret from the psychiatrist and that's why well, they're asking yeah, him about the hallucination. No, I don't no, think I don't no, think that's the true. I think the psy psychiatrist is completely in on it. Okay. Because uh he literally met her, met Jane while he knew right. the other no, one that, was in the right. facility. Duh, of course. Yeah. Because he was the one who called her out in the first place. Yeah. Once Reynolds gets loose from these ghosts, his face is coated with blood, almost like Jane's the night they met, but the blood blinks on and off with each camera cut as he screams. Outside the house, Jane sits on the steps, and inside, a pair of orderlies from Sandy Hill Nuthouse get Reynolds into a straitjacket and walk him to their vehicle to get him committed. Dr. Dean, Uncle Bradley, and Heather watch him dragged out with a somber expression. Jane says that she's hitching a ride to the airport in the ambulance, which I would be surprised to hear is on the way to the hospital. Well, okay, so this this part bothers me a little bit. So at this moment, there are only three people that know that Jane is real. Jane, Heather, and the psychiatrist. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think in order, because in theory, this guy is going off to the nut house, and no matter what he says, everyone's going to think when he tries to tell this story that he's crazy. Yes. Right. But these orderlies are going to know that he's not crazy because they literally see Jane and they talked to her and they took her yeah, to the but airport. I don't think they know who she is. I, I, but they I think... could tell that there's two people that look the same and that then his story isn't crazy. That's true. But I mean, you're relying on these people to even notice that. Like in that situation, I might be like, 
are these sisters or these cousins? I can't tell that they're exactly identical. Even when I meet identical twins, I have to ask, are you guys identical twins? Like I, or are you siblings or are you just friends? Like, I don't, yeah. I don't know. I can't tell, but it's, it's possible. They, they would not have caught that, but you're right. That is, that is a potential flaw to this plan, but they're also probably, you know, minimum wage workers that don't care enough to, to insinuate themselves in this whole trial. How long will this cure take, Bobby? As long as it takes to prove his sanity. To our satisfaction. So the psychiatrist is basically telling Heather, he's going to be in that hospital for the rest of his life. Yeah. Because it's up to us to say he's sane, let him out, and we'll never say that. In the ambulance, Jane leans over Reynolds to comfort him, and his words about this face being hers forever ring in her head. She smiles and kisses him goodbye. She takes off her jacket, revealing a bright yellow bra, and throws on a matching yellow jacket over it. A phone rings at the house, and Heather tells Dr. Dean to let it ring. She doesn't want to answer it. She leans in to kiss him. So, maybe this was her boyfriend that she was talking about? Oh, yeah. She's definitely the person that she called to come right away. He groomed her at the hospital, Mm. and now they're in a relationship, (laughs) and she called him to come pick her up earlier. We cut to the other end of the call, and it's the executor, Mr. Clyde, who doled out the inheritance to Jane earlier. He's calling to see where she is, because she should have been here an hour ago. Jane arrives just after they hang up. But the legal team here address her as Miss Reynolds. They hand her a big yellow suitcase with $2.5 million in it, and when they ask how to deliver Reynolds half, she says, never mind, just leave that part in my account. She trusts them to invest it wisely. Presumably, this is her sharing the winnings with her doppelganger. Mm -hmm. So, this part confuses me too. Is she, or is she getting away with this? I mean, she is getting away with it in that I don't think Heather intended to share this inheritance. I think she knew she was entitled to all of it, and she could have kept all of it. Yeah. But this was Jane's way of sneaking off with half of it. But she actually does a nice thing here, leaving half of it in Heather's name where Heather can access it. I feel like they didn't properly undo the gift to daddy. I feel like what would have made more sense to me for this character would be for her to take all of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Would be for her to say, can you transfer the rest of it to my friend Jane Doe in Bermuda or something like that? And here's the tracking number. And then that would be the end of it. It's she's she's going to take the rest of the money and yeah. she's under a name that you can't, they can't possibly trace her down right. later. See, I thought this was a plan that Heather and Jane worked up together. That like, Yeah, that, like, it, it makes it seem like it, this it was a plan. Be. It's but hard to say. I don't know why Heather would bother to share this money because it's all hers. Well, I mean, she, she, Jane's gone through a lot and yeah. Help, helped her get her dad out of the way. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, she saved her. As she walks to her waiting plane, complete with a red carpet, she wishes the men a good day and disappears inside. <laughs> the guy tries to take the bag from her, and she's like, no, 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 no. Yeah, this is my bag. That's the end of the film. I love this movie. I love every little twist and turn. I love every line of dialogue. The performances are great. Judith Chapman as these two different characters is phenomenal. I think she does an incredible job because I know that you're saying, well, I don't necessarily know who's who's, but... I- in every scene, I felt like I could tell she was playing Jane versus, you know, playing uh, uh, Heather. Heather. Yeah. But in the scenes where we're supposed to be questioning whether they traded places, I feel like even then she's doing just a little bit of a twist on both characters yeah. so that we're like, 
I don't know. That could be Heather or that could be Jane playing Heather. That feels like both of those. There's a lot There's a lot of nuance in how she's acting. And we establish certain yeah. things early, like Heather smokes and Jane doesn't. And so I keep waiting, like, is there going to be, like, I'm looking for cigarette butts. I'm looking for cigarettes anywhere to indicate which one of them is which. And it's just so fascinating to be, like, left out, but still, like, wait. Like, I'm I'm imagining, I'm watching this film with two separate eyes now. And I'm trying to say, if, if this is Jane then this is what's happening in the story. And if this is Heather, then this is what's happening in the story. It's just so fun. And with all these different twists to it, I feel like it just works really well. And the, and the ending is pulled off beautifully. And obviously Robert Lansing is amazing too as this he, terrifying creature. He, he is so great because he he has like this awkward laughter. Yeah. Like he just starts breaking out into laughter because he doesn't know what else to do because he probably doesn't feel emotions the way humans right, do. Right, exactly. He doesn't know what else. I'll <laughs> exactly. just laugh. That's what people do, right? Yeah. Um, That's what Heather does whenever we say something that doesn't make sense. We just <laughs> both laugh at it. Uh, but yeah, he's just so cold-blooded. Yeah. The, the drive-by of his wife drowning. Yes. <laughs> I loved that. It's so funny because up until that point in the movie, we've seen him go dark like killing this boy and and we feel like it's a crime of passion but when he's killing his wife it feels like like la-di-da like without a care <laughs> in the world doesn't and then when he's playing chopsticks as bradley is like choking to death it's just like such a weird fun character yeah. <laughs> for this guy to play but he he really sinks his teeth into it and and the bradley character is fun too because he's like this like haphazard idiot but he's mm -hmm. also like so angry that he can't prove this one yeah. thing to anybody <laughs> But I, I also like hallucination Bradley. Yeah, he's great too. <laughs> like, he's just like, just so much fun. Aren't I an annoying ghost? I think we set him up great at the beginning by slapping the random funeral attendee's yeah. butt. And it's probably a family member yeah. or a friend of the family, like, yeah. at a funeral. <laughs> yeah, and the girl, like, the woman who gets hit just, like, kind of looks at him like, oh, it was Bradley. Like, we expect that from him at this point. But, yeah, it's it's really wonderful. The writing is so tight. It's a huge thumbs up for me. Yeah, I give it a thumbs up. Yeah, so the, it's a thumbs up for me, and it's not my usual kind of, like, cup of tea. Yeah. But everything about it is so interesting. Yeah. yeah. And like I said, the Arrow Blu-ray is the scalpel cut, which is technically the Avco Embassy PG huh. cut, <laughs> the scalpel cut. But um, there's also two versions of the movie on there, and the only difference is color correction between the two of them. Oh. Because this version gets that Southern Gothic yellow and green yeah. styling to it and the other one is more of a straightforward palette so it, it's just colored as it was on set but i, I really like the flavor of it in this uh, yeah, in these greens and yellows it feels swampy southern. and yeah. mm -hmm. scary and yeah uh, yeah with all the i mean i guess because pg you could show nudity yeah a little bit to yeah. an extent because uh, yeah because like obviously we even pg-13 had boobs in it occasionally yeah um but uh, yeah, like fact that there's like so much physical violence and uh, and just, I guess just the one scene of nudity. Which yeah, is and also some pretty brutal surgery scenes too. Like, yeah. like we went further than like even coma did with with like blood and guts as people are getting operated on. Um, but I guess that's because it's more of a sterile. Yeah, I guess. Like it's, yeah, a, it's, it's a medical it is, procedure. It's, it's not, very scientific. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it was a very surprise when you said it, this was the PG version. I was like, wow. Okay. Yeah. But uh, I don't. I don't feel like it loses anything. I feel like no, it still has no, a very I, I, hard I, I, edge on it. And obviously, I haven't seen the other version, so I don't know. It could be. It could be much worse. But I feel like this works great as PG. Although I would love to see the R version if if that exists in some home video version, or a screening maybe. Who knows? Keep my eyes peeled for false face. 
Writer-director John Grismer, he previously wrote and produced The Bride in 1973, and his only other directing credit was for 1987's Blood Rage, which is a much dumber movie, but still a lot of fun, and it also features two identical characters, one of whom has been in an asylum for a very long time. The story and editing came from Joseph Weintraub, not many other credits I recognized. The music here is from Bob Cobbert or Robert Cobbert. He scored Dark Shadows, Burnt Offerings, and those TV movie miniseries for Dan Curtis. He also wrote the theme song for the $10,000 Pyramid, which was later reused as the $25,000 and $100,000 Pyramids. He's the credited composer on a segment of Trilogy of Terror on account of recycled scores he wrote for Dan Curtis's Night Stalker and Night Strangler TV movies. The cinematographer here was Edward Lackman. After this, he lights Selena, The Limey, The Virgin Suicides, Aaron Brockovich, Howell, Carol, Wonderstruck, and Dark Waters. The other editor was Christopher Ness. His only other credit was as an electrician on the set of Voyage of the Rock Aliens, which we will get to. Hopefully. Robert Lansing was Dr. Philip Reynolds. He was the titular character of 1959's 4D Man. He's Dan Stokely in Empire of the Ants. We've seen him so far in Minnesota reviews of She, Security Hazards Expert, and Island Claws. Apparently Hal Holbrook was offered this part. Yeah, I, I could see Hal Holbrook, but... Uh, I, don't, I don't think I could see Hal Holbrook violently attempting to rape his own daughter. But but see, that's a, I always see Hal Holbrook as more of a sinister character maybe, maybe but but i mean he, the worst is capricorn one i can't think of another time he's played like a straight up bad guy well uh, like magnum force oh, okay he, yeah he's because he's, he's the da or whatever yeah like uh yeah I, I always know him as playing more sinister characters but usually weaselly sinister yeah like not like like i'll do what it takes but i'm not going to get my hands dirty if i don't have to is he the da or is he the mayor uh, in magnum force yeah he, he's somehow like a police force chief. Yeah, he's a supervisor like of Harry's in some way. Yeah. Judith Chapman played Heather and Jane. This is one of her first credits. Later, she was the rapidly aging Dr. Chandra Milhouse in MacGyver episode Kill Zone, but she's likely best known for 860 appearances on The Young and the Restless as Gloria Baldwin Fisher Abbott Bardwell. It's a lot of names. She was trying to grow fruit in all climates, right? right? Like she was trying... trying to get it to grow super fast mm -hmm. to solve world hunger, yeah. but capitalism is at fault for world hunger because we have enough food we just don't give it to people that's the problem arlen dean snyder played uncle bradley he was sheriff howells in macgyver halloween episode the secret of parker house nice. uncle bradley's in parker house sandy martin played sandy she was janice and barfly she's grandma in napoleon dynamite she's mama dixon in three billboards outside ebbing missouri but she is probably best known now as max mom on it's always sunny in philadelphia <laughs> She's like, great in Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, it's like, make yourself a dang quesadilla. Yeah. That's uh, another doctor at the uh, facility. She's the one who's like, oh, this girl's face is totaled. It's, it's mm -hmm. completely fucked. What are we going to do? Muriel Moore played Cousin Margaret. This was her first film. She was Alex's mother in The Big Chill, juror number one in My Cousin Vinny, and a teacher in The Truman Show. Stan Wojno played Donald. That's the boyfriend who gets drowned. He's Lifeline in the G.I. Joe animated series, and he has voices on DuckTales, Superman the Animated Series, and the real Ghostbusters. Laura White played Jennifer Reynolds. She's Laura's mom in High Fidelity. She's one of the moms of the campers in Little Darlings, and she's Meyerson's secretary in Hopscotch. Greg Oliver played Killer. Who is, who is Killer? What does that even mean? The, Greg Oliver the played bartender? The bartender? Oh, maybe the bartender or possibly the guy who, like, bashed your face in. No, because Face Smasher has oh, its own. yeah. 
Um, Greg Oliver was the was killer, um, and he played a cop in Carney. And then the last credit I, I had was Bart Russell as intern, uncredited. He was also a skating rink patron in The Visitor and a man in the street in Wiseblood so far for the show. I think that's everything for Scalpel, a.k.a. False Face. Thanks again to Louis Letizia for their generous contribution to the show. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share, you can find all our socials at linktree slash vintagevideopod. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing whatever you chose. We leave you now with the trailer for Scalpel. This is beauty. This is the beast. <laughs> Descend with them into a world of terror. Your daddy is dead, which is what I'm celebrating tonight. I wonder why he hated you so much. I do the devil's work. <laughs> I change the faces that God intended. I cater to man's vanity and to his lust. God, look out! Girl you just brought in. What do you think happened to her? She looks like somebody worked her over and tried to destroy her face. They succeeded. The rest of your face is mostly silicone, solid and liquid. Ever since you started these operations, there has been something going on in your head, and it ain't medical. How would you like to have this face? What the hell for? The two and a half million dollars be sufficient incentive. I want no trouble. Don't be any trouble. Look, I can teach you everything you need to know. I mean, her mannerisms. I got tape recordings of Heather's voice. She'll study photographs of the family. Anyway, and you're only going to have to impersonate her twice. Heather! Hello, cousin Margaret. Who'd have thought you'd come back looking so beautiful? Or come back at all. And you have yet to introduce me to your little friend. Hi, right, Heather, this is Jane. Jane is Heather. Jane what? Doe? Jane Doe? Has it ever occurred to you what fun we could have with my daddy? <laughs> Doesn't she, Philip? I didn't ask him how he was going to do it. I told him it's going to be fast and it's going to be painless. edge of terror in Scalpel. Don't let Dr. Reynolds get his hands on you.